Hello clinicians and hello my peers. We are back with another episode of the Becoming Healers podcast hosted by me, Dr. Lerato Khatle. I'm so, so excited to be engaging yet another guest about what it looks like to hold on to perspectives that empower us as clinicians in this very challenging South African healthcare system. If you have not joined us for the past three episodes, then you need to be informed that the theme for season two of Becoming Healers is something must die. That's correct. Something must die because we are committed to trying to ensure that we hold on to perspectives that empower us as we journey through becoming clinicians who are no longer victims of the challenging healthcare system, but pioneers of its transformation. The show is called Becoming Healers because that's exactly what we're committed to trying to become. Clinicians who are clinically sound, operationally excellent, and have the power to make a difference at the bedside and beyond. And for the past three episodes, we've connected with clinicians who are living that way. From episode one with Dr. Randy Lamphal, otherwise known as Dr. Motivation, who encouraged us about what it looks like to be someone who can embrace change and bring change that adds value to environments. To episode two, we were joined by the founder of the WardWorks app, as well as the internship organizer, Dr. Peter Ann Brown. And she encouraged us to understand that we truly are we're looking to ourselves to invite the change that we need to see in the South African healthcare system. She reminded us that the change we're looking to experience is probably most likely going to be found in the minds, in the ideas of the younger healthcare professionals. Those are the seemingly ignored because of the hierarchical structure that we have in the healthcare system, the interns, the comserves, the junior medical officers that we truly do have the power to add value in a way that is meaningful and last week i was joined by doctors matt and ryan from docs in slops and they reminded us about the importance of carrying a fire in us that adds value they're interested in adding value to the healthcare system through creating simple solutions that make a difference for the clinician but also empower the patient experience and even after that, we have a lineup of guests that are still going to bless you and impact you as you listen to this podcast. We also have a tradition that we started in the podcast, which is celebrating one another. I've opened a platform, which is a WhatsApp line where you can simply message. The number is 066-246-3302. And all you have to do is send a voice note or a text encouraging or exhorting or celebrating any of your clinician peers, your teams who've made it easier for you to practice as a clinician in these challenging times. It's the second episode in a row I'm still waiting to receive, but I'm hopeful that one of you will have the courage to share your story and your journey. And this week I thought it was valuable to just celebrate and thank those clinicians who are currently practicing in South African healthcare while facing the reality of having to mourn loss, loss of their peers, loss of their family members, particularly because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I really just want to lift you up and honor you for what you are doing and how you are continuing to show up. And I hope that this podcast that we have today in particular will really help you clarify and understand how you can reach out for help and what it looks like for you to stand and continue to stand in your calling, in your role every day, but making sure you don't neglect what you need as you grieve. So 
that's not meant to introduce a somber note to the episode at all, but rather just to encourage and inspire those of you who are challenged by the reality of loss and grief. And I hope that the guests that we have today will encourage you to see that we truly are all at risk as healthcare professionals are facing challenges with our mental health. So for this episode, I want you to get yourself ready. Pens, papers, note-taking apps. This one is really going to be good. My guest today is Dr. Precious Jakura. She is a junior doctor born and bred in Bumalanga with Zimbabwean roots. She grew up in White River and studied medicine at UCT, where she found her passion for combining business strategy with medicine to empower women and children. She likes to not only identify problems, but also solutions. This is what led her to developing the online platform Frontline Refuge in response to the burden of mental health she was seeing and experiencing. She did this as a second year intern while working in the Peter Marksburg complex. The best innovation occurs through adversity and those are the opportunities she believes are ripe for picking in South Africa and the greater continent. She's currently completing her community service in Mpumalanga, where she is gaining a deeper understanding into the challenges women in rural and peri-urban areas face. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Dr. Precious Chikura. Welcome and thank you for joining us, Dr. Precious Chikura. Please will you just um, introduce yourself and share a bit about uh, why you started Frontline Refuge. Hi, everyone. So my name is Precious Chikura, as I've just been introduced. And currently, I'm doing my community service in Bumalanga as a medical doctor. And I spent six years of my medical time in UCT. And then I went over to Peter Maritzburg. Originally, I am Zimbabwean South African, so I was born in South Africa, but half of my family is Zimbabwean. And so I have a really great opportunity to have these two perspectives from two very different cultures. And that's how I approach life, um, just balancing perspectives. So that's a little bit about me. In terms of my broader interests, I'm really passionate about women's health and mental health, especially within healthcare workers, just because I feel that there are a lot of systemic problems that result in poor mental health um, that doesn't necessarily need to happen. So in people who don't have pre-existing mental illness, the, the jobs that you know, people undertake as healthcare workers are very burdensome on mental health and there is no formalized strategy to actually um, prevent mental illness and tackle that in a proactive way, um, at least from my experience, especially within the, the public sector. I think there are strides that are kind of made in the private sector, but in the public sector, there, there really is a lot of room for innovation and, and so that's why I'm really passionate about it, because I think that there's a lot that could be done. And that's also what led to, you know, Frontline Refuge. Initially, before COVID, um, myself and some colleagues were actually developing a, an app for uh, junior doctors to actually just help with mental health, you know, and help you to 
tackle the occupational stresses that you are experiencing on a daily basis, especially because like what we noticed was that people were having sort of unhealthy or inappropriate outlets for their mental stress, right? So substance abuse, you know, whether it's alcoholism that's kind of socially accepted, but not necessarily appropriate, whether it's hardcore drugs that is, you know, are being stolen in the hospital or, you know, whether it was exposing things on social media, you know, in a space that's not actually appropriate. These are the things that we were seeing. And we thought that this could be a really nice way to tackle it. And COVID came along and kind of disjointed that. And there was still kind of that need for acute mental health care. And that's how the idea for Frontline Refuge came along, you know, providing people with virtual counseling um, for free so that you can kind of cope with the acute stress. It's not a long-term solution, but a coping with that acute stress um, in a way where we didn't have to necessarily develop a whole app. Yeah. Sure. You've said a lot, but Firstly, well done and thank you. I think this is such a timely solution. It's such a timely innovation because we know and have seen that all over the world, people are awakened to this idea that there's a different type of pressure that comes with the word frontliner um, and Mm. having to be at the cold face of a global pandemic where we don't have information about the virus and how it works. But more importantly, from an operational perspective, dealing with, you know, challenges that every healthcare sector, I believe, has been exposed to uh, in terms of where they are vulnerable and where things aren't working. I don't think we started off necessarily Mm. on the strongest foot as South Africa. Um, So to have Mm. professionals who probably didn't have a strong morale pre-COVID and now during COVID. (laughs) (laughs) And fall apart. Like really just fall apart and shattered. You guys have come into the space with something that that really, really is a need. And I want to touch on a few of the things that you mentioned while you were explaining why and how Frontline Refuge came about. You spoke about the predisposition to mental health um, in high-performance professions. And I mm. think that's a perspective that a lot of us don't um, take into account when we choose the career, um, when mm. we're journeying through the career. And it's not even a, a, a reason or a risk factor we cite um, for, for what makes us vulnerable. Can you share a little bit, if you know, about like where we are in South African healthcare with, with acknowledging that fact that our career actually predisposes us in some way to mental health challenges um, mm. and, and why you guys well, I think you already have shared why you why you um, decided to start the platform, but how you are intending to reach, um, you know, people because of this really great need. I mean, we definitely in this high performing job are predisposed in a way that I think is quite different. So, wow, that is a really good question. And I think one of the barriers so if you look at it from the perspective of someone who is in the career already I think that Mm -hmm. there's uh, almost the unequivocal sort of acknowledgement that what we are doing predisposes you to mental illness right Um, but then the there's another perspective of personally do you do you recognize what mental health mental illness is and 
do you actually believe that it's a valid thing? So mm. I think that is, that is a perspective that is important to actually tease out because there are a lot of people struggling with mental illness within the profession that don't recognize it as such. And for example, what we can say, you know, something that we spoke about earlier was how generations before us were trying to survive. Yeah. And now we have reached a point in our generation where we have the privilege of not only wanting to survive, but wanting to enjoy or, or be present in the moment. And so for them, they have um, dysfunctional coping mechanisms like you know, bullying juniors or um, substance abuse or you know, just baseline unhappiness that has been normalized as, as being part and parcel of the job, part and parcel of this profession where it doesn't necessarily need to be. So I think firstly, just recognizing the fact that that in itself is mental illness. Um, and then from the outside perspective, what prevents the real prevalence from being known is the fact that you are put on a pedestal and made to be this hero. And I don't know if there's ever been a time where it's been more prevalent than now. Seeing it every single day, you know, in newspapers, our heroes, our frontline workers, now you guys are doing a great job, you know, sacrificing all of this, all of this. It doesn't necessarily leave that space for mm. you to have um, your mental illness or to have your emotions. And so it might seem like, no, it's not really prevalent. They're doing fine, but they're not really being given the space to not be fine. So, you know, to answer your question in a nutshell, I think it's very prevalent. It's being spoken about a lot more, but I don't think that it's, I don't think that we know the full extent. And I don't think we've recognized within ourselves the full extent of the prevalence. Um, yeah, I don't know oh. if I've answered the question <laughs> entirely. You answered the question while also opening cans of worms that I think we, for <laughs> <laughs> me personally, I was like, oh my word, I didn't think about it like that. And one of the mm. things that you said um, was this idea of dysfunctional coping mechanisms, particularly amongst our leadership. Mm. Like um, bullying, which I mean, has been the cause of a lot of people either choosing to completely exit the profession um, mm. and of course of a lot of just dissatisfaction, if I can use that word, amongst yeah. um, which is something that personally, like I wouldn't have put that under the banner of um, um, mental illness or mental illness-like behavior. Um, what else have you seen through the work that you're doing with Frontline Refuge mm. that, that mimics this type of stuff? Things that, I mean, we're not going to find it in the DSM. We haven't even classified burnout. <laughs> Which is a problem. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. What other patterns and things are you seeing? And I'm asking this questions particularly because a lot of what you're saying for me is is revealing um, rather than affirming. And I think mm. it's because this conversation is not being had in our space. We are not being open about um, how mental illness presents, expresses in our space uh, because we don't knock on the door like patients who are manic. Um, we yes. are high coping. We are functional. So, so in your work with Frontline Refuge, obviously trying to protect the, the identity of the people who may have been seeking um, refuge, 
What do you mm. think are common threats that have come up because of COVID-19 that, that peers can, can observe and notice um, amongst each other to say, hey man, I think maybe you should be considering um, getting some help because this behavior or this attitude, um, that isn't normal. And how different mm. is it from normal patient population? So I think what is really challenging um, in, the, in the population of healthcare workers is that they are able to really mask symptoms well. So what's challenging is that by the time that they are presenting and like wanting the help, it's already fallen apart. In essence, you know, you on you've you've been at a point where you are stressing, then you are in distress, and then you just decompensate, and that is when you're like, okay, I need to pick up the pieces of my life and actually, you know, go to a psychologist or speak to someone or, you know, so I think it is difficult to pick up those softer signs, but commonly what has been happening is absenteeism. Mm. Um, you know, showing up late to work, neglecting your responsibilities, um, a numbness where you actually just don't even care anymore. You don't care about what's happening with your patients. You don't care about what's happening with your, you know, if you have juniors, what's happening with your juniors, what's happening with your colleagues. And a lot of time that's looked at as someone not being a team player. We're very, it's very oh. easy to fall into that trap of thinking, you're oh, that person is like unreliable. They never hear but they're actually going through something, you know, and it's not usually the first response in the workplace to reach out to that someone who has that reputation, but it's actually a really big red flag for someone who's actually decompensating in terms of their mental health. Um, and obviously like just the normal symptoms of depression and anxiety um, and substance abuse as well, which is a lot more common than you think. And mm. being in a setting where, people have access to so many drugs it's it's really a bit of a nightmare and also I think just alcohol in general is quite is probably the most abused substance in the healthcare worker population and it's almost normalized you know the way in which people drink you know people come with hangovers frequently or you know show up late to work and it's being related to substances so it's those little things you know um, that are difficult to pick up because we are really good at compensating. We really are. Sure. Um, yeah, those are the few things I would say that would be a little bit more difficult to pick up than I would say in the normal population. And because people are your colleagues, mm. you are also expecting them to perform at a certain level. And when they don't, it's not always, hey, are you okay? It's more like, hey, why aren't you performing? That yeah. part, girl, that part right there. Like, hey, are you okay? Um, I mean, in my experience, there just wasn't time. I didn't feel like there was time to care when I was okay. And I think you that's know? also part of the problem is that here you guys are, frontline healthcare workers, COVID is showing everybody flames. There are no vents, there are no beds, people are dying. And mm. in some way, shape or form, you are moving from this incredible scale you described. You move from, I think you said, st 
stressing to stressed to decompensating. And all of that's probably happening, not just over a period of like months, but every single day in some way, shape or yeah. form, every area of your life. How, 100%. how then do people stop and say, hey, I need help. And, and, and maybe you can walk us through the journey that people can take with Frontline Refuge to, mm. to interrupt that cycle um, so that if it's stressed, it stays at stressed and doesn't go to stressing. Distress, and yeah. Distress and then doesn't become, we're decompensating. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's no silver bullet, you know, and I can't promise <laughs> that same. Frontline Refuge is going to solve all of your problems. Mm-hmm. Um, it will definitely aid you, I think, in having an honest look in the mirror and helping you to stabilize. But it's not, you know, that silver bullet. And I think the most accurate answer is not the easiest, right? So sure. we we really need an overhaul of our healthcare system in terms of actually considering healthcare workers as patients mm. because you are predisposed you can come in the most stable person who you know has never had a history of mental health you know illness and it can really shake you up the things that you see every day the level that which are you know expected to perform um the the services you can't provide because of the resources that you are given all of these things you know play on your mental health and you become a mental health patient and there's no treatment plan in place for you you just mm-hmm. let loose in the system to kind of wreak havoc in my opinion and so i think the the most accurate answer would be for us to actually sit down and have policy in place to actually prevent Mm. to prevent this right and if you look at and there are even within our profession right there are people who are at higher risk of mental illness than some Mm. so if you look at ems personnel for example people who are paramedics and have to go you know first on the scene they see the most horrific things people in casualty seeing the most horrific things people in obs and gyne do you know what i mean so Mm. they really there's also risk levels in terms of how your mental health can be affected and that's not taken into consideration there's no debriefing you know training no you know safety net that's put into policy if you have gone into casualty and there's been a 20 car pilot for example which is not impossible right um and you just see death on death on death on death same call and you're still expected the next day to just come to work like you know you were going shopping the day before or something at the same level it doesn't Mm. make sense there needs to be protocol in place for you know if such a thing happens what do we do for these people how do we follow them up Mm. to check if they're okay how do we provide them with services that are a little bit more long-term in in our occupational health model? So it's not a proactive model at all. It's okay, if your psychiatrist books you off for two weeks and says you've decompensated, okay, fine, maybe you'll get the two weeks off. But outside of that, to keep you at a healthy place, it's not there. 
Not at all. And so, yeah, I, not at all. So I think counseling is definitely, you know, one of the cornerstones. But for us to prevent ourselves getting to that place where we decompensate, it needs to be in the fabric of our workplace and recognizing it, you know, recognizing it and providing for it in a way that is in policy, in writing. Yeah. In, in black and white. Um, in and black and white. <laughs> it's so true because, I mean, one of the things that I realized and I, I, um, as I'm taking this journey of evolving and becoming a clinician innovator is that um, different spaces have, have languages for change. In mm. our context, research is the language of change. Exactly. Much if you don't put it through an evidence-based You need paper, the data. You need the data. Yes. Whereas in, in business spaces, the language of change is innovation. It's about mm. disrupting. It's about making new um, inventive changes. Um, and I think more and more what we're finding is we are trying to build the bridge between the two because both, both are important and both are valuable. And both yes. are impact, particularly the healthcare sector in a great way. And, mm. and with that, I want to ask you personally, as the founder of Frontline <laughs> Refuge, as a ComServe um, employee in the public sector, how have you personally um, tried to protect your mental health? Because there is no black and white right now. It is what there it is. There isn't. Um, <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, but, but you've obviously thought really hard about this, not just about how we can work to serve the broader clinician group, but, but one of the things that, this season is trying to also implore clinicians to see is that there are other perspectives to hold on to. For you in your mental health space, what do you think has helped you um, show up in this way, both personally and for Frontline Refuge? Um, that wasn't necessarily a common perspective that you were exposed to um, while engaging clinicians at large. <sighs> There's a lot. I would say speak on it first i know the first thing that's really helped me um in the last three years four years actually because it was towards the end of medical school has been recognizing when i'm in a state of stress and distress like recognizing when that shift happens for myself because it's different for different people we all have different thresholds um where we kind of go over the edge and it's taken me such a long time to really pick up those signs because they are very subliminal, you know. And when I do pick up the signs, what do I do? Mm, for me, for me, <laughs> yeah, for me personally, I recognize when, okay, I need to see someone because I'm maybe ruminating or maybe the coping mechanisms I have in place are not working. I need to dig deeper and maybe see a counselor, for example, or speak to a family member, or speak to a friend, you know, escalate my own level of care. And in a, prevent in a preventative sense, I would say for myself, I think being kinder to myself, mm. it's very easy to be hypercritical, especially when you are a junior doctor, you are learning. So there are things that you don't know. Um, and there are things that you are still learning and, you know, getting on the path to being a senior and being an expert. And it's very easy to be hard on yourself, especially if you're in an environment where 
um, there is bullying, there is harassment, um, you can become very unkind to yourself. And I think mm. I learned how to be kind to myself because that really does lead to, I think, like mental decline. Um, the, the words that you say to yourself. And it sounds very cheesy, mm. but it's, it's been so powerful. The way that you treat yourself. Um, and I think also reaching out to people. So for me, I think it's very easy when you are um, in a context of stress and isolation at work. And now, especially with COVID-19, isolation outside of work, it's very easy to mm. just get into your own shell and to just stay there and get into a depression, get into an anxiety. But it, it's also helpful, I think, to look at it for myself. This is me. It's been helpful to see social interaction as a form of therapy um, mm. and not just as a form of enjoyment because sometimes you see that actually maybe my situation isn't so bad or actually it is this bad and there are other people experiencing it so I've got camaraderie or you know whatever the case may be I think social interaction acts as a medicine and that's what I've discovered for myself in the last mm. two years that when I'm feeling really blue the solution is not to be alone it's actually to be with people so just that reaching outside of yourself and allowing the systems around you to help you Mm. and not to only look within yourself I think is so important yeah sure you said so much and I think one of the things I'm really enjoying about this conversation with you precious is your vocabulary for mental health I was listening to a different mm. podcast this past weekend and um uh, the the trained psychologist was just speaking to how her aim in the podcast for this season is to get us to expand our vocabulary and and you have mm. a vocabulary for mental health that I think is so so um powerful and unique and, and that has helped me even in myself you know take a few moments even in this conversation to think about mm. where I particularly the scale that you presented to us of moving from stress to distress then decompensated what are the other words that you think clinicians um, need to add to their mental health vocab bank so they can better like express where they are because I think like you said that's part of the challenge is um we we can hide yeah hide is probably a good word there's probably a better word but we can almost mm -hmm. go under the radar um, simply because maybe we don't even know how to express what it is. Uh, what are some words or few keywords you think have been helpful for you uh, to be able to use language that helps you define your mental health state and then also express mm. it properly? This is a hard question. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I would yeah. just like to put a disclaimer that I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist. Sure. Yes. But... Um, you know, I think one of the words I would use is baseline. Mm -hmm. So understanding what your, what your mental baseline is, I think is important because okay. you need to recognize when your baseline is off. Are you up mm. or are you down? How are you deviating from your baseline? And what causes you to deviate? 
So I would just say baseline, number one. Number two, the what is causing you to deviate, right? Your stresses. What mm-hmm. are your stresses? Our stresses are different. And, you know, as healthcare workers, that's a word that's it's not new to us. Mm. But I don't think we apply it to ourselves. Um, what are the things that are attacking your own mental health and your own spirit? So I would say stresses is another one. And then I would say um, yo, this is such a hard question. Then I would say (laughs) I would say container is the third one, the third and last one that I would use. And I think this is how I picture it and also how they used to teach us in varsity, right, about your your own emotions and dealing with other people's emotions. And because we are in a profession where you deal with other people's mental health and other people's problems, you are a container. You have your own mm-hmm. problems within your container. And then they also bring their problems into your container. So what is it that you actively do to ensure that your container is not going over the maximum? My how, how are you? Do you know what I mean? Mm. so I think that is the one thing when you are feeling over the brim every single day how do you clear what is in your container so you have space for your own your own problems and your own happiness (laughs) um yeah so those are the three words I would use baseline stressor and container you have been such a like a a help and an answer. I don't think you understand how practically um, you unpacked that. Um, and I really, really hope that all of the listeners are going to take the time to sit with themselves and ask themselves, what's my baseline? What are my mm. And what is my, because I mean, it, it really just takes that level of work um, mm. to be able to show up in the space differently. And thank you um for that I think that was so powerful I have I have I have questions I must ask like I must yes and I know we're running out of time so I'm I'm getting probably have to re-invite you for another episode because this is just yes 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 beginning um my my one of my first questions to you is um like where are we with mental health for healthcare professionals if you could give a synopsis Mm. um of of where we are um, and how we're doing, and what do you think needs to shift? What what would that be? Um, I want to be politically correct, but I also want to be <laughs> okay. honest. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we have a very long way to go. Mm. And at the risk of sounding self-indulgent, I think the conversation becomes very difficult because we're not the only people or profession you know, facing difficulty. Um, so it's not as if I I think we are we should be special and separate from from everyone else but I do think that being inside the profession you have this perspective and this is kind of the problem that we want to solve from the inside Um, so that's kind of why it's such a big priority to be specifically speaking about healthcare workers Um, so that's just a disclaimer I want to put out there but I, I think that we have a really long way to go. 
Mm. And like I mentioned before, I think one of the problems is recognizing the fact that there is a problem. And I mean, they've been countless, they've really been countless studies done in South Africa on South African healthcare workers. The focus is usually doctors, but I think it's actually broader. Um, there is evidence to show that we've got a high burden mm. of mental illness, right? So the data is actually there. But the second part, right? So if you have data, you, you need to act on that data. Mm. You need to see that data as being statistically significant for you to act on it. And I think that's the, that's the place where we've kind of been in limbo is actually using what people have researched and putting into place those mechanisms and those policies. That's the step that I think we need to go forward with. And I also think giving liberty to, you know, not just gov government policies, but within institutions themselves, giving liberty to healthcare workers to, you know, create solutions for themselves for their own mental health. So I don't think there's a lot of liberty and um, room for innovation. And it's not mm -hmm. just in mental health. I think in medicine, in the public uh, sector, it's very difficult to institute changes. And when you go to other environments, or when you go to other countries, it becomes really evident how dynamic you know, things are. And now during COVID, you've seen that we actually do have the capacity to be dynamic. It's yeah. a, just, a, it's a choice not to be. It's political will, it's, you know, leadership. And it's also us as well holding ourselves back. So I think we are very far from where we need to be. And the main things holding us back are the will and the recognition of what we've already proven in data. Yeah. Sure. Well, thank you for what you have <laughs> done with Frontline Refuge, because that's a step in the right direction. Yes, and a very small step, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's that step that didn't exist before, and I think that's exactly mm. the point, is that it didn't exist before, and now it's something we have. So thank you so much. My last two questions, mm. and you can answer them together, is <laughs> what is your hope for South African healthcare, and where can people find you and the work that you're doing with Frontline Refuge? Um, you're, you're really going in with these <laughs> questions. They are so thought-provoking. Um, and it's, it's also things that I've thought about, you know, and just mm. summarizing it is so difficult. But I think for South African healthcare, you know, my first hope is that we can achieve and be really intentional about equity. Mm. Um, we have really great policies you know and and really great intentions on paper but it's really not enacted and there's a lot of people that are still living in a different healthcare system from people who live in you know the metropolitan areas so i think so equity mm, equity would be my first one and then i think secondly um this goes hand in hand I think it's multi-sectoral, it's not just in healthcare, but I think it does affect healthcare outcomes and that is really prioritizing women and children um, and providing better reproductive um, care for, for women. I, I think that as much as we, we would like to believe that we are a progressive country, 
when it comes to reproductive health, we're not. Mm. And especially being, you know, in, in Pumalanga now, um, one of the more rural provinces, you really get to see it at play where patients don't have access to things like contraception, you know, to things mm. like abortions, whether you, you believe in it or not, mm. purely because um, people do not believe in it who are providing healthcare services. Right. Sure. And, and, and that really does result in dangerous outcomes mm. for mothers. And it also reproduces the, the cycle of poverty. So in a long winded way, I mean, it's something I'm really passionate about, but that's what I would like to see solved. One of the things I would like to see sort of improved on is access to reproductive health care, because it also changes the economy. There's so many things it does. Yep. It uplifts people, it empowers people, and you know, it allows people to, to make independent decisions for themselves. And I think the third thing would be for us to also be more open-minded as healthcare workers and as uh, politicians within the system, as well as the private sector actually, Mm. being more open to collaboration and innovation, right? Mm. So right now these two systems are working independently and one system is thriving and innovating and, you know, and the other system is, is not. But for us to actually collaborate and for us to allow innovation to happen um, in these spaces and between these spaces, um, is one of my hopes as well because there's so much potential and there's so many people are energized to really make a difference but that platform is not really there yeah yeah so those are the three things i would say <laughs> yeah. very powerful and my last question um is just where can people find you how do they engage frontline refuge mm. and the solution you've designed for healthcare workers so the two places you can reach us are on our website, www.frontlinerefuge.com, or you can find us on our Facebook page, Frontline Refuge, as well. Those are the two places you can contact us. That's so awesome. Thank you, Precious, for your time, for what you taught us, because I think this is definitely a podcast where I learned um, and for how you are showing up in the healthcare sector today, I think one of your hopes for South African healthcare, um, you, you spoke, um, I think it was the last one, I can't remember, it wasn't equity, um, uh, but collaboration. You spoke mm. about just the power of what it looks like for us to collaborate. And as you were speaking, I just remembered, you know, we are the bridge. It's us, the healthcare professionals that vacillate between the two sectors. Mm. We, are, we don't move. They cannot be service in either end. Um, exactly. Time for us to take our place in the ways that we know how. And thank you for taking your place to the platform that you have designed for healthcare workers mm -hmm. to ensure that we can continue to vacillate as we do while we wait for a sector that's better integrated or collaborative. Um, mm -hmm. And that we can do that well as people who are not just professionals, but healed healers, man. Yes, yes. And I think, like, just building on what you just said, I'm sorry, I know you're wrapping up. No, girl. But, 
but it's so important like what you're saying is that it's us we are mm. the bridge and we are also the people who are going to institute these changes that we want to see you know all of these things that we're talking about all of the deficiencies that we're seeing it's actually our turn to take the baton and and solve them it really is our turn um mm-hmm. and this is where we are starting you know you're starting with young md you are starting with your clinical innovation mm-hmm. we've started with our frontline refuge you know a small step forward but really starting to tackle the problems in a proactive way, which I think is so important for us to be doing. Yeah. So powerful. It's our turn to take on the baton. That bless mm. me. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. And the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks so much. Oh, wasn't that absolutely incredible? I feel so empowered after speaking to Precious about what it looks like to almost own my mental health, for lack of a better term. She said some amazing things that I want to highlight and remind you all to go back and think on. This podcast was different, man. I know we spent the last couple of episodes just encouraging each other, but I really feel like in this podcast, we got to sit down a bit and recognize that there may be faults in the way we think. And many of us, we are actually predisposed to challenges in our mental health. So it's important for us to be kinder to ourselves and kinder to our colleagues as we try to become healers and try to innovate for a space that's safer for us to practice as clinicians. And one of the things she highlighted was unhealthy coping mechanisms that we adopt because of the challenges and the stress of working in a, in a challenging healthcare system, dysfunctional for lack of a better term. And I really, really want to encourage you all to think on what your unhealthy coping mechanisms are. The second thing she said, which absolutely moved my soul was, unhappiness is not part and parcel of our jobs. It shouldn't be. I'm going to say it again. Unhappiness is not part and parcel of our jobs. It should not be. And I know that's such a tender place in many of our minds because of what has happened during the COVID pandemic, but also things that predate the COVID-19 pandemic and how our experience of serving as clinicians in the South African healthcare sector is. But this was this is what the season is about. It's about trying to find narratives and perspectives to hold on to so that the others should die. And I definitely think that That is one that needs to be um, on its way to dying in our minds. This idea that we can't be happy in our professions. Unhappiness is not part and parcel of our jobs. It shouldn't be. And as she spoke about that, she went on to speak about a scale that we can use to assess where we are personally. She spoke about how many of us are navigating through three phases. Either we are stressing or we're in distress or then we finally decompensate and how important it is to understand where you are, to recognize where you are and to do something about it. And when I asked her, when I asked her about the words that we should adopt in our personal mental health vocabularies, she highlighted three that I want us to never forget. That is baseline. What is your mental health baseline? Secondly, stresses. Do you know your stresses? Are you clear about what they are? Do you know what triggers them? And then finally, container. This idea that every day and everywhere we go, we really are a container. And as we take on the burdens around us, how are we making sure that we empty our containers daily to ensure that we preserve 
our personal wellness and i don't think that just sits in the mental health bucket i think that sits for everything from our physical health to our emotional health um to our mental health as well so such insightful gems and i'm sure that you may have found other parts of the podcast much more valuable than the three that i highlighted but altogether i think this was an empowering conversation for each and every one of us to go and think critically about what it looks like for us to navigate this journey as clinicians what it means to evolve into becoming healers and be empowered in our mental health wow it was absolutely amazing and I'm so thankful that you joined us. I hope that as you navigate this week and you navigate more pressures that you would remember to be kind to yourself. And as I was thinking on what to encourage you about this week, I was reminded of fear. And I think the conversation we just had is equally as important. Some of us are so afraid to ask for help. Some of us are so afraid to reach out for help. But I was having a conversation with another doctor colleague this week and she said maturity is knowing how to reach out when you need it. And I want to encourage you all to reach out when you need it. You now know that there's a platform called Frontline Refuge designed just for you as a healthcare worker if you need the mental health support. But there are also people around you personally who may be looking for you to invite them into the places in your heart and in your soul where you need more support. And it's something that I do actively in my personal life, so I'm not encouraging something I don't practice. But even Precious reminded us of the power of having people around you and being around people when it, some, when it sometimes feels like it could be better to be by yourself. So my encouragement to you this week is really to break away from the fears that would keep you thinking you need to isolate yourself in the struggle. If anything, this podcast has demystified the idea that it's not possible for all of us to be struggling in some way, shape or form. And I hope you clearly understand that there are multiple opportunities for you to reach out and get the help you need. And so with that, I want to close in prayer, just reminding us and encouraging us of what it looks like to navigate this week with less fear and more awareness of our mental health. Great God that you are, thank you so much for the opportunity to have gathered here today with my friends and peers, the clinicians, and everybody else who's a listener on, the, on this podcast. I thank you, God, that you do not desire for us to live in fear, that we don't have to hold on to baselines, even if it's what culture says is normal, that anxiety does not have to be our portion, that fear does not have to be our portion. I ask, great God, that in this week, you would show us all specifically and uniquely, as only you can do, what it looks like to inhabit our world with more peace and with more joy. Give us strategies and solutions to navigate our lives. Help us to identify the things that stress us and then distress us and then leave us decompensating and help us to define a baseline that serves the truth of who we are, that empowers us to show up to our lives with more hope and with more joy, that empowers us to serve in the spaces that we're called to serve with more authority and with more, with more peace and with less fear. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just encourage each and every person on this podcast to know that they are so safe to call for help as and where they need it. And I ask again that you would be so kind as to show them what it looks like to reach out to people where they need it. Thanking you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for joining me. I love you and I mean it. I will see you next week. This podcast is proudly brought to you by YoungMD. If you wish to be the official sponsor or partner of the Becoming Healers podcast, 
Kindly visit our website at www.yanyundi.co.za to find out how you can get in touch.